We're going to be in the book of Revelation, uh, chapter 3. If you have a Bible, we'll open up there. As today we study the letter to the church in Philadelphia. And, you know, you guys see the things that are going on in the world. I, I'm sure you see the signs of the times. And we're talking about things going on in Israel. And, and we're talking about a covenant that was recently signed over there. Just kind of like you know, awakening us to the fact that things are happening. We're talking about earthquakes and pestilences and um, just uh, the way that we see even the movement of the LGBTQ community and things that are being uh, legislated and the laws of the land. And you read Romans chapter 1 and basically what you see is that these are all signs of the times. You know, I can't even, I would be up here all day long just talking about the legislation in our own state that tell you uh, the Lord is judging our our, our nation. Because Romans chapter 1, it says that, you know, he gave them over to a debased mind. And so all that to say, um, uh, and we should probably, you know, remind you basically, and I think we've done this, but really always, that the Lord can come at any moment. All these signs are are things to tell us that. So with the fact that the Lord can come at any moment, that means we have to be ready every moment. You know, and when the Lord comes, and if he raptures you, and and, you you, you stand before him, if it were to happen right now, would you be ready? Would you be ashamed? Have you been abiding in him? How's your prayer life? Are you ashamed of your prayer life? How's your time in the word? How are you as a father, as a husband, as a worker, as a servant of Christ, like the gifts that he's given you to give back to the church? Have you given them back to him? Are you burying them? Are you making excuses why you're not sold out and surrendered? Because, you know, one of the things that we see is that you guys, we're the church of Philadelphia. This is the generation that gets raptured. And I think as a general description um, of uh, Calvary Chapel, and I would even say Calvary Chapel Almani, but man, praise God for his grace because we're not a perfect church. We are not, but we are the church that is going to get raptured. And we do, we're going to see some of these characteristics. We preach the name of Jesus. We preach the word of God. We have kept his word. We have not denied his name. You know, we um, are holding fast to the Bible and because of that, it's so cool, the Lord has an open door for us. And so uh, we're going to see some characteristics in this church and prayerfully, uh, although I believe some of those things are already there in your hearts, that it will stimulate it even more. I don't know if there's anyone here who needs the touch of the Holy Spirit. You need more. Um, if that's you, then open up your heart right now and say, God, get a hold of me because I haven't really been living in full surrender. The Lord wants to use his word like that. Look what we read here in verse 7. In Revelation 3, it says, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things says, He who is holy, he who is true. He who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens. And again, as you're going, we're going through these churches, remember it was directed to a church back then in Asia Minor. This was a church of Philadelphia on that postal route, one of the seven churches. But also as you go through Revelation 2 and 3, you see the churches throughout history, the first generation church, which was the suffering church. 
And then when Constantine came onto the scene, when the church married the government, it was a bad marriage, and that ended up going bad. And then what ended up happening is the Roman Catholic Church went uh, corrupt, and then there was compromise. And then came the Protestant movement. We see all these different churches. You know, you have the Church of Sardis now, and they were a great beginning, but then they got dead. They got dead because they fell into a routine and a rut. It wasn't a relationship. And then we see now, after the Protestant movement, there was, a, it was an awakening. There was like a movement of the Holy Spirit. You know, it began really in the early uh, 20th century, and Calvary Chapel kind of rode that wave as well. And we're that remnant. We're that church. We're the Church of Philadelphia. Now, that doesn't mean all of you are the Church of Philadelphia. I think most of you are, but some of you may be playing games with God. Some of you might not be completely surrendered. Some of you might come to church and then you get left behind. Some of you actually might not even know the Lord. And because you're not really opening up your heart to him, you will die and perish. You'll spend eternity apart from God, all because you did not humble yourself and receive Christ as Lord and Savior. I think that there are those people even in the church building, but generally speaking, I, I, maybe I'm biased or not, but I think that we are the Church of Philadelphia. And it's so cool when you see what the Lord says here. In verse 7, we have the Christians and then we have the Christ. And the Christians, again, it's to the angel of the church. Now, we don't believe in angels the, the way that we would usually connotate that as mediators between churches. We do believe that what that's in reference to, because the word angel, it means messenger. And so Jesus is sending a message to the pastor or the teachers, those who are responsible to relay the message to the rest of the church. And so he's writing to them. And, and then what he's writing to is this church now in Philadelphia. You guys didn't know how huh? the Lord wrote a, a letter to the church in the United States of America. Huh? You guys didn't know that. Huh? There's a congregation in our nation, Philadelphia. No, it's not the United States, Philadelphia. It is the Philadelphia back in Asia Minor. It was a really interesting city, not a big city. It was the youngest of all the cities on this postal route, relatively small. Although it was a gateway to Rome, it was plagued by earthquakes and seismic activity and many aftershocks. And because of that, because there were so many earthquakes there, people didn't want to live there. And, and there's kind of a, a relationship here that a lot of times happens is because there's so many trials. Being a Christian is not easy. There's challenges. There's things that we don't understand. We're like, wait a minute, time out, God. You're supposed to be all loving and all powerful. Why is this happening to me? And some people, when they experience that type of earthquake, they split. But we realize as Christians, we have a greater faith that God uses even those earthquakes, those calamities, those tragedies for victories. I was so blessed talking to a brother after first service today. And, you know, I'd say, hey, how you doing? Really, really cool brother. If I told you who he was, you would say, yeah, he's a cool brother. He's a really, really cool guy. And he was telling me, you know, like during this whole pandemic, even though we know that the devil is trying to do his thing and he has probably succeeded in some lives to a certain extent, how he said there was no way I could have such a beautiful relationship with my sons if it weren't for the, the whole thing that's happened. Because now we are together. We are together, together, constantly talking about things of the Lord. And, and what we find as Christians is God can take those earthquakes, God can take all things, 
and work it together for good. So here in Philadelphia, there were a lot of earthquakes. A lot of people left. And what we find, though, is that those who chose to stay were strong. And that's what happens. God will shake up the church. Some will leave. That's fine. Because maybe they never knew the Lord, or maybe they never really were of us. Maybe they didn't belong. Maybe they have a different mindset. That's fine. But after it's all said and done, the ones who belong there will be there. And that's what we find here. It's so cool. In Philadelphia, they had gone through the trials, but they were trusting the Lord. What we find in this church, interesting, you guys know that Philadelphia it comes from the Greek word phileo, which means love, and adalphos, which means brother. And together, what we find in this church is it carries the concept, even in the name, of brotherly love. And I would say this, that if you're looking for a strong church, if you're wondering what's a strong church, it might not be a big church, it might be a big church, but the main thing about a strong church is there's strong love. And this church of brotherly love was amazing. It's interesting how it started. History tells us that the city of Philadelphia was founded in 189 BC by a man named Eumenes II. And when he died, he was succeeded by his younger brother, Attalus II, who missed his brother and loved his brother so much that he began to name buildings after his brother who had died. He began to mint coins with the name of his brother that died. He would just speak so highly of his brother that died. There was so much love for his brother that eventually, consequently, the people of the town began to call this place Philadelphia, the name, the city of brotherly love. And there's a lot of ways that we can show love for each other. And you guys, I don't want to sound all mushy or anything. You know, loving is not always telling people what they want to hear. Sometimes you have to give them tough love and, and stuff like that. But it, it's just motivated by, by I love you. I, I care for you. And, and when you're talking about them and you're sharing things about them, you have the opportunity. We have the, the prerogative. We have the, the choice to, to focus only on their flaws and because I'm sure that guy, his brother, wasn't perfect. I'm sure he could have said, oh, he did this wrong and this wrong. But what he chose to do was to say things that he, he saw in him that were beautiful, things that were, that were good to celebrate his brother. And there has to be that in the church. And, and you're speaking words of kindness and love, and you're lifting one another up. And, and as a result of that, man, churches, they just grow strong. And the enemy tries to come in and divide and conquer and there's just no place for that because there's too much power there's too much love there god's love and this church of philadelphia this church of the last days this one that gets raptured i tell you what that's that's what's there you know i'm so blessed to be part of this church the pastors that i talk to um, that are part of this church they love you you know, we're doing our best to try to follow the Lord. I don't know if we're doing it perfectly, but I will say this, that we're trying. And then when you get to beyond the pastors and you start looking at the overseers, beautiful people who love the Lord and fear God and love his word. And then you start getting into the congregation and you start talking to these people. I mean, it's amazing. Again, maybe I'm biased because I'm, you know, your pastor, but I am so blessed with this church. 
But man, we have to guard ourselves that we never lose this love. The enemy will come and he'll try to, he'll try to take it out. Jesus said in John 13, 35, By this all will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Because that's the sign. We saw it in 1 Corinthians 13 as the church, right? 1 Peter 1, 22, it says, Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. And so right off the bat, just looking at the name, we're spoken to because we're going to have different views on a lot of different things, but we need to make sure that we love one another like this in order to be strong as a church and more important than that, to be pleasing to God. And so there you have the Christians and Jesus writing to Philadelphia reveals himself there in verse 7. Notice again what it says. These things says he who is holy, he who is true, He who has the keys of David, he who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. And so the Lord reveals himself to each church the way that they need to understand him. And he says, first of all, that he is holy. And the Greek word means set apart. In our case, the context is set apart for God. Uh, For God, it's not just a description of how he is. It's also a description of who he is. It's one of the most common titles of the Lord in the Bible, found 57 times in the Old Testament. The Holy One, the Holy One, the Holy One, predominantly in reference to Jesus. And so Jesus is without sin. He's uh, without a spot or blemish of any kind. He's pure. He's perfect. Listen, he's perfect in who he is, and he's perfect in all his ways. There's never an oops in his vocabulary. Never. He's perfect. He's the Holy One. And I think we need to see him that way. Isaiah 6, verse 3. Remember, he is holy. Holy, holy. It's his overriding attribute. He's holy and he's true. He's not a fake. He's not a pretender. You know, so much about him is true. The Greek word, it means that which not only has the name, but has the nature in every respect. It's the opposite of fictitious or counterfeit or imaginary or simulated or pretended. He's true. He's holy. First uh, John 5.20 says he is the true God. The true God. I mean, truly, this is who he is. He's the true Lord. He's the true friend. He's the true head of the church. He not only speaks the absolute and impeccable truth, but he is the absolute and impeccable truth. And we're going to see that as we go through Revelation. Revelation chapter 19, verse 11. It says, he was faithful and true. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He epitomizes truth. And so as he's talking to the church in Philadelphia, as he's talking to us, because we're the church of Philadelphia, right? Are you guys going to get raptured? How many of you guys are going to get raptured? (laughs) If the Lord comes, huh? All right, so we're the church. He says, I want you to know I'm holy. I want you to know I'm true. And then it's interesting what he says. He who has the key of David. Now, who's David? David was the king. He has that key, the key of David. He opens... And no one shuts. That key shuts and no one opens. 
when you read the Bible, and sometimes we see it in life, keys are indicative of an aspect of authority. The keys of David, obviously, are the keys of the king. And some people, they have a key to the city. The Lord has the keys to the kingdom. And there's no doubt that this is in reference uh, to Isaiah 22, verse 22. And if you guys read that story there, the background was, it was in the days of Hezekiah, king of Judah, who had a man on his staff named Shebna, and he dishonestly used the power of his position to enrich himself. And so he was a selfish scam artist. And so the Lord pronounced judgment on Shebna, declaring that he would be sent to die in Babylon, and that a godly man named Eliakim would take his place. And you read in Isaiah 22, verse 22, it says, The key of the house of David I will lay on his shoulder, so he shall open and no one shall shut, and he shall shut and no one shall open. And you go on and you read, and it says he was fastened, he was nailed to a peg. And in that, it, it says that he, he brought victory. And, and what we find, the Isaiah passage, coupled with this Revelation passage, is, is the Lord is saying that, um, that there's this the work of the Antichrist, that's Shebna. There's a work of the devil, but there is the work of Jesus Christ. That's Eliakim. And what, what he will do is he will save us and he will open doors that no man can shut and shut doors that no man can open. He will open doors to heaven, number one. I mean, you guys think about it, man. Even though we're you know, failures and knuckleheads and, and losers and we fail every day, we are washed in the blood of Jesus. You're, you put your faith in him and you're forgiven. You're free. Before I had to sin, now I at least have a choice. Because he set me free, he broke the chains. Think about that. And so what the Lord has done is so amazing. He's opened doors to heaven. I have no doubt I'm going to heaven. It's not because I'm a good person. I'm not better than anyone else. I'm probably far worse than the majority of you. But I know in whom I have believed. I know who Jesus is. He has opened the door to heaven. He's opened the door for the rapture. I'm not afraid to get left behind because I'm abiding in him. I'm walking with him. I, I know I am. I hope you are too. I'm not afraid. God's opened doors to heaven. God's opened the door for the rapture. And God has opened doors for ministry. Why? Because he, only he has the key and no one can shut that. You know, the governor can try, but he's not God. These judges, they can try, but really, truly, you guys know. Are they part of the Supreme Court? No. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are. And I don't know if they'll ever shut those doors. I don't know. I mean, who cares? Like Henry said, we'll meet outside, we'll meet inside. We'll meet anywhere. We're going to fight for these rights, of course, to meet inside because it feels a lot better in here. <laughs> You know, and you can dim the lights and you can check out the whatever, the screens and whatever, it sounds better. But and the most important thing, more than all that stuff, more than all that smoke, is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit doesn't need a building. They can never shut those doors. Never. The only way those doors will ever be shut is if we shut them. And you guys won't, huh? You guys talk too much, man. <laughs> You love the Lord too much. He has those keys and he opens doors of opportunity and ministries. And, you know, when the whole pandemic thing started and, you know, there was kind of an explosion of things going on online, 
You know, again, I'm not saying that it's, you know, something that I would have necessarily wanted, but God used it for good. And there are people saved now in the church because of that. Because of that. And then, you know, that kind of fades out and whatever, and then you go outside, and then there are people that come in because of that. I mean, the, the, the devil cannot stop God. He can't. Because Jesus Christ has the keys. He opens doors that no man can shut, and he shuts doors that no man can open. And that's all we want. I mean, if the Lord chooses to shut doors, that's cool. You know, remember in the second missionary journey when Paul the Apostle was, he was heading out. First he visited some of those churches there in Syria. And then when he got near Ephesus, he wanted to go down into Asia. And the Holy Spirit said, no, he shut that door. Then he wanted to go north into Bithynia. And the Holy Spirit said, no, and he shut that door. And you're like, wait a minute, how could he shut that door? I just want to go and preach the gospel. But the Holy Spirit said, no, it's not time yet. And so what did he do? He just kept going with the doors that were open. He ended up in Troas. Next thing you know, he gets a vision from a man in Macedonia. Come and help us. It may have been Luke. Think about Paul without Luke. So he goes, and then there's Luke. And the next thing you know, the whole second missionary journey happens. And man, God does a great work because he opens doors that no man can shut. And he shuts doors that no man can open. Whatever, you don't want to kick down those doors. What if Paul didn't listen to the Holy Spirit? But he, he was sensitive, and then the next thing you know, you guys know the third missionary journey, he went to Ephesus because now it was time for them. And what a great work God did in Ephesus. So great was that work that the very churches that we're reading about now were all products of that amazing third missionary journey. And so as he's writing to Philadelphia, he's writing to our generation. He's writing to this church, and he's saying, don't worry. I'm holy, I'm true, and I open doors that no man can shut, and I shut doors that no man can open. And it's so cool because the Lord, I think he communicates that to us. Look what he says in, in verse 8. Um, verse, uh, is it 8? Yeah, 8. I know your works, and see, I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength, have kept my word, and have not denied my name. And so the Lord knew their works. He doesn't really say a whole lot about their works. Maybe it's because he's going to give them such a great reward one day. You know, he's just kind of holding off on that because he will reward when we work with right motives for him, right? So he says, I know your works. But I've set before you an open door, and I think the context right there is, uh, is so cool how he gives us ministry opportunities. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, 8 and 9, Paul said, I will tarry in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a great and effective door has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. And so with the keys of sovereignty and authority, the Lord Jesus opens doors of ministry opportunity. You know, and sometimes you get to go and minister into prisons. Sometimes you get to go and you minister to the, your coworker. You know, now maybe they're open now because all these things that are going on, maybe they're more open than they would have been. You know, I've, sometimes you get to go and minister in hospitals. But the Lord opens those doors, uh, and it's so cool. You read the same thing in Colossians 4, verse 3, and 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12. 
And it's, and it's interesting because in one sense, he says, and this is why I'm opening doors for you, because you have, number one, little strength. The, the Greek word translated little, it means it's, it's the word micros. And it actually highlights how weak they were in and of themselves. And so this is really their acknowledgement of weakness, forcing them to function by the power of God. Remember Paul went through that when he had experienced these amazing visions. I think he was transported into the third heaven and he saw things that were so amazing and he experienced so much. And the Lord said, unless that guy gets too prideful, I need to humble him. And so a messenger of Satan was sent to him to buffet him, to humble him. And Paul kept praying, Lord, take it away. Lord, take it away. Lord, take it away. And the Lord said, no. 2 Corinthians 12.10, it says, Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and needs and persecutions in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. See, there's no one too little for God to use. Only people who are too big. You know, and they think that they know it all, or they think that they are good enough or strong enough. And God says, well, if you're that way, then you have a lot of strength. I want people with a little strength. I want people who acknowledge their weakness, their dependency. They realize all their life, you know what? Because I've heard people say, man, he doesn't really know all that much or whatever. They can't preach so eloquently, not as good as me. And it's crazy because, you know, the Lord is just looking for someone like Gideon. Remember Gideon when Israel was in trouble? And we read the Judges and uh, we look at it as, a, as if it all happened within, you know, three-year period. But no, we're talking hundreds of years. When the nation of Israel would go up and down and up and down and they were down. And then one day the Lord came and appeared to Gideon and he said, Hey, I'm going to use you to save your nation. Your country, I'm going to use you to save your nation. And Gideon said, me? You can't, how can you use me? I'm from the weakest clan, and I'm the least of my father's house. And the Lord said, go. You know what the Lord said? Go in this might of yours. Because you realize how weak and unworthy you are, now you are strong. Because you have nothing else but to depend on me. And that's the church of Philadelphia. He said, I'm, one of the things that, uh, about you that I'm creating these open doors of opportunity, number one is because you have little strength. Number two is because you've kept my word. You've kept my word. And I think obedience to God's word just opens those doors, right? Bible-loving, learning, and living churches will always have open doors according to God's will. You know, keeping his word is in reference to obedience to and reverence for the word of God. And because we love the God of the word, we love the word of God. And so you go to a church and they teach you book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, sometimes even word by word. They try to give you the Bible. And like Paul said, I have not shunned to declare to you the whole Bible the full counsel of God, because otherwise you end up with people or pastors or teachers that just teach you what they think is important. And here's my hobby horse, and here's my interest. And that's why Pastor Chuck is so cool. He just said, no, teach the whole Bible. It's all relevant. It's all omnipotent. 
And I know you would probably rather teach this and you think there's an elephant in the room or whatever the case may be. Listen, this is my word. There are places for topical teachings, but man, sometimes I think it replaces the systematic study of the word of God. No, uh, Philadelphia, there's going to be opportunities for you. You please me. Why? Because you're weak and you know it. Because you have kept my word. You know, John Stott, he said that King Jesus rules his church by the scepter of his word. If you ever go to a church where they're not teaching you the Bible or you don't have to bring your Bible to check it out, run. I encourage you because I'll be honest, I've taught to people, a lot of people, and they say that just as you're teaching through the Bible, you know, you learn so much more than years of topical studies. And so I encourage you, and I was talking to a person the other day and they were telling me that and I shared with them this. I said, probably part of it is not just because you go to a church that, that teaches the Bible, although that is important. It's probably because when you go home, you develop a hunger to read the Bible for yourself. huh? And you guys are reading the Bible. And you guys are listening to Bible studies. And you guys are reading books that are based on the Bible. And you're looking at everything with a biblical worldview, with that grid of theology. That's the Church of Philadelphia. They know they have a little strength. They know how weak and even wicked they are. And so they depend on God. They keep his word and they don't deny his name. And that's what he says right here about this church. You have not denied my name. You're not afraid to say Jesus to people, to tell people about Jesus. You know, you guys know as well as I do that if you go and you talk to people about God or faith, that you probably won't offend people. But when you, when you name the name of Jesus, there's power. You know, I have a t-shirt. My wife just got me. It says, Jesus saves. Some people might be afraid to wear that shirt. I'm not trying to brag because I, I don't think twice about it. But, you know, the other day I was wearing it. I don't know where I went to, Costco or something like that. And I was thinking, Lord, man, you could use my t-shirt to save somebody. Why? Because Acts 4.12 says that in the name of Jesus, under that name, people get saved. And that's why later on in the book of Acts chapter 4, the religious leaders, they said, hey, don't preach in that name. Because it's the name of Jesus that's above every other name. Every tongue will bow and every lip confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, that it's his name above all names. And so we're not afraid to share the name of Jesus. See, the Church of Philadelphia, they had these open doors, they had these opportunities, but they also had opposition. Look at verse 9. He says, Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you. Let me ask you guys a question. Why do you think the Lord writes that verse? Why do you think he writes that verse? Is it because he's looking at Manny and he's saying, hey, Manny, um, I, I know you'll get like really excited about this, you know, to see them bow down before you one day. No, I don't think so. I don't think we gloat. I don't think it has to do with being arrogant. 
I think it is really more of an encouragement. All the opposition that we're experiencing in the world today, all these people who are so high and mighty, I mean, God's going to deal with them. Now, again, not that we're like we, we want bad for them. Lord, save them. Save them. But if not, understand, church, they are already defeated. They're already defeated. And we're going to be there one day. More than likely, what this might be in reference to is when we're there at the, the, um, the Revelation chapter 20, and then again, I don't know, we don't know for sure, but who knows, maybe we're going to be witnesses of the great white throne judgment. I don't know, but I know that the Lord speaks this word, words of encouragement. Here's a synagogue of Satan. These were people that claimed to be Jews, but they weren't even really Jews. They didn't even bear the fruit of Judaism. Gamaliel bore the fruit of Judaism. He said, leave those Christians alone because it's of the Lord. You might find yourself fighting God. You're not going to win a battle against God. These guys, they were of the devil. These guys that are doing their thing, and you guys know this as well as I do, um, they don't realize that they're, sometimes they do, but a lot of times they don't realize that they're just instruments of the devil. That's what they are. The synagogue, of Satan. Oh, they might not be following Anton LaVey. They might not read the Satanic Bible. But behind them is an influence of darkness that they would never understand. Before I was a Christian, you guys knew this, right? I was in a heavy metal band. Did you guys know that? Don't I look like a rocker? But I remember, man, uh, just, you know, we would do our thing. We would play our clubs and parties and darkness and all the craziness that took place. And uh, I remember that after I got saved, I went back to look at the songs that we wrote, and they were all about the darkness. They were all about the devil. And I didn't even know it. I didn't even know it because those people who don't know the Lord, they don't realize that when they were getting high, when they were getting drunk, when they're doing crystal meth, when they're doing all that crazy stuff, that it's just the devil right there. And these guys today, whatever, of the synagogue of Satan, the Lord says, hey, I want you to know that they're defeated. And not that they're going to bow down and worship you, but they're going to worship me in your presence. And you're going to see it with your own eyes. You're going to see it. And you are going to know that I have loved you. That's what he says right there. I will make them come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you. You are my church. You are my bride. You are the apple of my eye. He who touches you, that's my bride. And they're going to know it. They're going to know it. Is a church essential? I mean, give me a break. We are special. We are God's bride. He loves us. Maybe you're here today and, and the enemy's lying to you and telling you, well, God doesn't love me. I mean, man, he loves you. He died for you. He demonstrates his love on Calvary. He takes care of you every day. I think a large part of our victory as a church is discovery of God's love for me. 
You mean to tell me you got plans for my life, Lord? You mean to tell me you, you got a wife for me and one day I'll have kids? You're going to provide for me? You're going to bless me? You're going to give me peace and joy? You love me? Yeah. And when that begins to sink in, it changes everything. You know, we have opportunities as the Church of Philadelphia, but we will also experience opposition. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 3.12, yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. You know, when you study church history, you find about this guy, Ignatius. He was a disciple of John. And he actually wrote about how one time he went through Philadelphia, and when he was there in Philadelphia, he had a hostile debate with the Jews who were there. These people would one day be humbled and bowed down before Jesus. You know, it's interesting when you look at this, um, the enemy attacks the truth, he attacks the church. God provides opportunities, the enemy then counters with opposition, but God uh, gives that open door. Look at verse 10. He says, Because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. I remember when, one time, I, I forgot, I think we were actually on a, a family vacation and we were um, going to catch a plane. And I remember, um, I don't know what happened. I think we were eating and we were just having a good time eating. Somehow we lost track of time. And the next thing you know, um, we're like, oh, man, the plane. We have to, the plane, the plane. We started. <laughs> and then I remember it was like that commercial. Uh, you we're running through the airport. And next thing you know, we hear it on the loudspeaker, like, cornea, last call for cornea, whatever, you know. And uh, imagine how horrible it would be, like, you know, you pay for the ticket or whatever, and you miss a plane. But imagine if you miss the rapture. Imagine if you get left behind. Imagine if you're not ready. The only way that you won't be ready is if you're living for yourself. You know, you live for the Lord. You believe in the Lord Jesus Christ who was nailed to a cross. He bore your sins. He rose again. Uh, he's willing to take care of you, man. He's Just believe in him. Just believe in Jesus. Just believe in him. That way when the rapture happens, and it can happen at any moment, I mean, you've got to be an absolute blind, dead fool to not know that we are living in the last of the last days. We don't know the day or the hour. No man knows for sure, but man, the things that are going on now in Israel and Jerusalem and the Middle East, explosions here and all this craziness. All, the other day I, was, I saw an article, it was crazy, about these bicyclists that they got hit with all these hailstones. I don't know if you guys saw that, but they showed a picture of this guy who had all these crazy bruises on his back because there was this crazy hailstone shower. And immediately I thought about the book of Revelation. It talks about these hailstones that are 70 pounds. And what's, what's going on, Lord? And the Lord is just saying this, I love you so much that I am sending you warning after warning and sign after sign that I'm coming. And, and that's what he's saying right here. 
because you have kept my command to persevere. And you guys as a church, praise God. You know, I got to be honest with you. Uh, as a pastor and seeing people going through the, the virus and the pandemic and all the things that have happened, you know, and we were not meeting for a while and then we're meeting outside and some come and some don't. And you wonder where people really are in their walks with the Lord. And then they show up. You know, last Thursday, a couple of families showed up that hadn't been to church since March. And so I got to talk to them and they were telling me, yeah, it was the enemy was trying to get us and and, you know, we went through this and that, but here we are. And we, we need to be here. And I was like, wow, Lord, they persevered. They endured. People are being tested right now. How did the snail make it to the ark? He just kept going. <laughs> and you just, I tell you guys, it's not a religion. It's not a set of rules and regulations. It's, it's a relationship with God who made you and who loves you just never leave him never never quit never split endure just keep believing keep going to church service keep reading your bible with a heart for God speak to me keep praying with passion and connection pray that way knowing God the God of the universe hears you Sanctify time to get on your knees. Have a heart to be obedient, to follow him, not just to do what you want to do, but every day you wake up with, Lord, what do you want me to do today? I know that when you look at this church right here, because they had persevered, because they, they didn't quit, they didn't split, the Lord says, I will keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world. Now, whenever you read about an hour in the Bible, what that means is, is a determined period of time. The hour of trial that's going to come upon the whole earth is the last seven years of world history. It's the last week and the 70 weeks of Daniel in Daniel chapter 9, verse 24 through 27 when all hell breaks loose on earth, when God begins to deal with Israel again. You know, when you read about that, we'll read it, we're going to study Revelations chapter 6 all the way through chapter 19. It's just crazy how the Antichrist comes on the scene and everybody has to, you know, get a mark and otherwise they can't buy or sell. It's a microchip in order to, you know, purchase things. And, and, and he comes on the scene and God begins to deal with planet earth and God begins to judge the world. All the, the sin. And some people think, well, how can God you know, be so mean and, and judge the world? Do you know what sin is? Sin is diecast rebellion against God. That's what sin is. And God, and we already read it, is holy. You can't wink at it. So he has to deal with it. Now you have a choice. You can either let Jesus bear your judgment and believe in him, or you can bear that judgment yourself. And the Bible says, whoever falls on this stone will be broken. They'll be surrendered. But on whomever this stone falls, it will grind him to powder. And that's why you don't want to be here. You don't want to miss that plane. You don't want to miss that rapture. 
You know, the picture of the rapture is that guy Enoch in the Old Testament. And you read about Enoch in Genesis 5, verse 24. It says, And Enoch walked with God and was not, for God took him. And so you're wondering, well, how, I want to make sure that I get raptured. Well, do you know him? And if you know him, you're going to walk with him. You know, and I love walking with my family. It's just a beautiful thing. That's all you got to do is walk with him. Hebrews 11.5, it talks about the same thing, that it was by faith. Because the tribulation period, there are some out there, for whatever reason, they think that we're going to be here through it and God's going to, whatever, protect us through it. No, the tribulation period is a time of wrath. And we see that over and over again. Revelation chapter 6, 16 and 17. Revelation eleven eighteen, About four other times. And the Bible says that the church is not appointed to wrath. So just like God took Enoch out, God's going to take his church out. And that's why you always want to be ready. Jesus always told the guys to tell us, watch and be ready. Watch and be ready. For you know not the day or the hour that your master comes. And so we see here, the Lord says, Because you have persevered, I will keep you from the hour of trial, which will test the whole earth. You know, there's a lot more, but we don't have uh, time. But man, it's going to be cool. In a couple of weeks, we're going to have someone come up and teach just on the rapture of the church. And so you guys are going to get a lot of information on that. But just know um, that if you don't get right, you know you're going to get left. Amen? Okay. Verse 11, Behold, Jesus says, I am coming quickly, suddenly. Hold fast what you have, that no one may take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. The Lord says, I'm coming quickly. And someone says, well, what do you mean you're coming quickly? It's been you know, 2,000 years since you said that. Well, with the Lord, one day is 1,000 years, and 1,000 years is one day. So number one, for the Lord, it's only been two days. Okay? But really what this word means is suddenly. It's suddenly. It's like the Lord said, in the days of Noah, they were eating and drinking. They went to in and out They got a double-double and a lemonade. They were just eating and drinking. They were dating. They were marrying and giving in marriage. It was like life. And then one day, boom, the flood came. The Lord said, it's going to be like that. It's going to be suddenly. That's why you can't just get ready. You have to stay ready. Because he can come at any time, right? Lord said, Behold, I'm coming suddenly. Hold fast what you have, that no one may take your crown. You know, and we talked about the crowns being the rewards that we're going to get, and so we have to cast them at Jesus' feet, according to Revelation 4, verse 10. What that means is he gets all the glory, but don't let anyone stop you from working, serving, loving the Lord. Some people, what ends up happening is they get lazy. I can't. I got to be praying. I got to be ministering. I got to be calling people. I got to be texting people. I got to be studying the Bible. I got to be teaching the Bible. I got to be doing all the things, exercising all the gifts. Every single one of you have talents. You have gifts. You have a place in the body of Christ. Don't let anyone take that crown away from you, the Lord is saying. And then, and then secondly, he says, he overcomes, I will make him a pillar 
in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. And these are pillars right here. And pillars are permanent places uh, in that temple. And we know, according to Galatians, uh, that we have those pillars in the church. Galatians chapter 2, verse 9. These were guys that were instrumental and used by God in great ways. I mean, you know, the Lord says, if you overcome, I mean, just these beautiful rewards I have for you. And, and, and I don't know. I don't know if you believe. Man, I pray you do. Because he who is saying these things is holy and true. You will get crowns. You will be pillars. And on you, he will write the name of his God. On you, he will write the name of the new city of Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem. On you, he will write his own new name. You guys ever have a boyfriend or a girlfriend they wrote on you? Like they wrote your phone number and you're like, oh man, I love this. I'll never wash my hand again. <laughs> it's kind of like that. And I know this sounds weird, but I remember watching one cartoon about this one guy. He had a whole bunch of tattoos on himself and they were all kind of part of who he was, like what he had done or accomplished in life. And I don't know how it's going to work in, in heaven, but there's something to this, right? And all he's saying is, okay, church, okay, uh, Philadelphia, are, are you going to do this? Are you going to be inspired by the original Philadelphia? Who, you know, they, they were such a, a blessing. They loved the brothers, man. They loved people. They kept the word. They did not deny his name. They only had a little strength, but that's okay because they leaned on the Lord. You know, are you going to be inspired by that? If you are, these are the rewards that I have waiting for you. The Lord says, and he who has a near, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. You know, as he's writing on us, his name, it's a symbol of ownership. It's a symbol of citizenship, especially when that city is write, written on you. Probably in heaven, I'll bet you all of you here are going to get an Almani tattoo and a Jerusalem tattoo. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. We'll see, because during the uh, millennial kingdom, did you guys know that we're actually going to be ruling over different cities? And that's going to be cool too. Who knows, maybe that'll be another tattoo we're going to get. It's going to be amazing. All I know is God is good. There is no man that should be ex exalted or put on a pedestal. There is no one who is worthy. No one except Jesus. So you guys, I pray we would fix our eyes on him.